Hi everyone, welcome back to Unsighted, the internet's least reliable English lit podcast. I'm Chantel. And I'm Amy. And this is going to be coming out on Christmas, so Merry Christmas to all our Christmas friends. (laughs) And our capitalist friends as well. We are feeling very festive, so today we thought we would read a Christmas-themed poem. Which is surprisingly not going to be a Christmas carol. Well, that's not a poem. Well, for starters, (laughs) because it's not a poem, but also because we ain't basic. Maybe next year. Maybe next year, once we've ran out of materialness. So the poem we're going to be reading today is The Night Before Christmas. (laughs) No, it's not. Um, So the poem we're going to be reading today is Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, which is very old, so old, in fact, we don't know the poet's name. It's so old that the century it's from is barely a teenager. <laughs> it's written by the Pearl Poet. Some people also call him the Gawain Poet. He was a clergyman. And it was like just around the time that Christianity was kind of moving into England. So the upper class was Christian and then everyone else in England was kind of along a spectrum of paganism to Christianity. And when we're talking about Christianity, we're talking about Catholicism, right? Well, yeah, that was the only Christianity that existed. Okay, so we're going to do a pretty extensive plot summary of this because first of all, it's a ride. And second of all, I don't really think a lot of people actually have read this. I don't think a lot of people in our class who were assigned to read it actually read it. (laughs) That is the truest thing we've said on this podcast. This is the only peer-reviewed by us thing on this podcast. Speaking of peer reviews, we have one from last episode. So this peer review is from Anne. Hi, Amy and Chantal. As a fan of Jane Eyre, I appreciate your thorough dunking on Rochester. I might have missed your mentioning it, but to add to his crimes, he insults Jane by reminding her of how plain and ugly she is up until the big confession. What romance. Much gothic, very brooding. Plus, the novel frames his losing his hand and sight to try and rescue Antoinette from the fire as a big redemption moment when it's literally just local man faces the consequences of imprisoning people. Love the podcast. Looking forward to the next episode. Thank you, Anne, for your lovely peer review. I must say that I agree with everything you've said and appreciate your thoughts. (laughs) Zero disagreements with this. Also, I messaged her back after this, and she also noted that the tree at Rochester's house gets more page time than Bertha does. Forgot about the tree. Yeah, no, she's right. And just spitting straight facts into our peer review section. <laughs> That's because we have a great audience. I also wanted to add that there's nothing wrong with being plain, and I always found it really annoying when characters are described as plain because, like, I'm not I'm not an Instagram model. Plain is just like normal looking, and there's nothing wrong with just having a face. (laughs) He's just out here being so rude. He is. Like, you don't need to remind people that they're not Instagram models. Also, Instagram didn't exist at the time and mirrors What are you talking about? Did you miss the part of the book where Blanche was scrolling through Instagram (laughs) as she was trying to woo Rochester with her huge mansion of money? And her thirst traps of showing her ankles? Yeah, she afforded all those clothes that she showed her ankles in from her TikTok videos. (laughs) We're not hip of the kids. (laughs) I feel like at some point we should have some of our peer review board on the pod. To clear up some... I would love that! (laughs) Um, So if you are a particularly 
uh, enthralled by a book and you ever want to like discuss it with us, you know, let us know and we can uh, see what can be done with our lack of technology. And if you want to send us a peer review, you can reach us at unsightedpodcast at outlook.com or on Twitter at unsightedpod. So back to our holiday themed insert Christmas bells here. Will you run our lovely audience into the ground with this summer? <laughs> okay. So, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight is an Arthurian legend. So it starts at the round table in Camelot, and the knights of the round table are having this big, big feast. It lasts 15 days. It's so much and so excessive and no one needs it. And then a Green Knight walks in to their New Year's feast. So the feast is like over Christmas and New Year's, and on New Year's Day, the knight comes in and he's like, who will challenge me? I'm pretty sure it's on Christmas Day. The Wikipedia article said it was on New Year's, but you could be correct. The Sparks note said it was on Christmas because the the thing that happens happens like a full year afterwards. Uh, A year and a day. Yeah. So it could be Christmas Eve. It's either New Year's or Christmas or Christmas Eve. And the night comes in. You should really read these things again. And he throws down his gauntlet. And um, he's like... I challenge anyone here to not a fight. A duel? Like, he doesn't want to fight anyone. He's like, I'm too strong for you. A challenge. I offer a challenge to all of you. I have this axe. It's a big green fancy axe. One person here can strike me on the neck with the axe. And then a year and a day later, I will strike you back and you can have the axe. So everyone's like, oh, I don't know. We've kind of been drinking for like 15 straight days. So no one really wants to do it. And then Arthur's like, maybe I'll do it. And then Gwen's like, listen, Arthur, I know I am the worst of the knights. He's like his cousin or his nephew or something. He's like, my only value that I add to this round table situation is that I have a blood relation to the king. Um, so as the weakest knight, I volunteer as tribute. I will be struck in a year. So Gawain, he thinks he's really clever. And he's like, listen, if I strike this guy and I kill him, then I don't have to go through my end of the challenge. So he takes the axe and he strikes him and he cuts off his head. And the knight stops and he picks up his head and he's like, okay, see you in a year. And he leaves. So Gawain's like, oh shit, this guy is like about a zillion times stronger than I anticipated. I guess I'm pretty screwed. So he waits a year and he lays his about and doesn't really do anything. And then he leaves like a month later than he should to quest his way to the green castle where he's supposed to meet the knight. At the end of his quest, he comes to a castle. Why are you making that face? I'm trying to figure out if it's Christmas or New Year's. <laughs> Hit me up. Let me know. Um, he comes to a castle and he's invited to stay there by a lord and his wife. There's also an old woman who lives there. Everyone knows that she is just this old, ugly woman, and she's very respected in the house, and that's all we know about her. Oh, it is New Year's Day. Okay, so... Big brain moment. I looked on Wikipedia, and I found the answer. Okay, so to everybody who's trying to just read the Sparks note instead of reading the actual thing um it is on new year's that the green knight appears to camelot according to project gutenberg so um you can't get away with just reading the sparks notes but you can get away with just reading project gutenberg is what you're saying or the wikipedia (laughs) he quests his way 
to the green castle where he's supposed to meet the knight and he's almost there and then he comes to another castle where there's a lord and his wife. The lord is named Bertilac de Haute Desire. Um, so Bertilac de Haute Desire and his wife Madame Haute Desire. I don't know her name. She probably didn't have one. Probably not. They're like, yeah, the Green Castle is like two miles from here. You can stay at our place until you need to go meet the Green Knight for the end of your challenge. And he's like, cool, that's nice. So he's been questing and then it's like the holidays again. So they've got all this food. And again, he starts feasting and gorging himself and being generally a dum-dum. Can I also point out the fact that I read this entire poem in school and the entire time I was picturing Gwen from Merlin as Sir Gwen. He's hot, right? He really is. He is fine, that guy. Um, yeah, Eowyn, oh, I mispronounced that. I'm so sorry. I'm not Irish. Um, Mackin is his full name, and he has written a book, and he was also in The Night Shift, and he's doing other things now. Good on him. Yep. Anyways, so when you say he's drinking and partying, it's really on brand. <laughs> it's on brand already because he's been basically doing that this whole time like the whole poem so far he was at the feast and then the quest there which i assume lasted like a month it's like two lines in the poem yeah he's a party guy it's like oh yeah he did a big quest anyway then he came to a castle (laughs) where he partied some more partied some more so bertilak is at the castle and he's chilling with Gwen, and then he's like listen i have to go on this big hunting trip um i'm gonna go every day for three days it's like a thing i do i propose to you a bargain i will give you any game that i catch on my hunting trips if you give me anything that you get during the day and Gwen's like Sure, I'll accept your bargain, because that's what Gwen does. That's the most on-brand for Gwen so far. He accepts bargains. Gwen's like, this seems like a fun way of getting free shit. Yeah, because he's just like, okay, I'm staying at your castle. Anything that I get is gonna be from you, so I'll just give you back your stuff and then get free deer and stuff. So day one, Bertilak leaves, then immediately... His wife comes into Gawain's room and tries to seduce him. Gawain has some thoughts about her, but still, he is a knight. She is a married woman. Um, so he's like, I cannot lie with you, lay with you. Um, canoodle with you. I cannot canoodle with you. <laughs> you should probably go, but I will give you this chaste kiss as a reminder that I'm great. So Bertilak comes back and he's like, here's a deer. What did you get? And Gwen gives him a kiss. And he's like, oh, I'm not going to tell you where the kiss comes from. We know where the kiss comes from. There's two women in this house and one of them's an old, old lady. It's probably not from her. Probably not. Maybe it's from a cod. Maybe he went to Newfoundland in between the times and got screeched in and he kissed the cod. And now he's giving it back to the king. <laughs> Probably not. Um, Gwen kissed the cod and became a real Newfoundlander. <laughs> that took a turn. <laughs> Day two. Bertilak leaves again. Again, the wife immediately comes in and is like, Hey, Gawain, I noticed that you're just chilling in this castle all day with no activities to do. You know what would be a fun activity? And Gawain's like, listen, we already did this. Here are two kisses. Please leave my room. I will go have some thoughts about you in private. Bertolette comes back. He's like, what did you get? Gawain gives him two kisses and he exchanges them for a boar that Bertolette caught during the day. Day three. 
Bertilak leaves. The wife immediately comes in and tries to seduce him a final time. He's like, listen, we've done this. We've done it a lot. It's not going to happen. Thank you for the offer. I am flattered, but you are married. I am a knight. She's like, listen, I know that you are not going to lie with me. Why don't you take this ring? And he's like, no, I'm not going to take your wing. Was that like your wedding ring or some shit? I'm not just going to take like a random ring from you. You're already letting me stay in your house for free. I think we're good. She's like, okay, fair. You're not going to take my ring. Why don't you take this magical green girdle? It's like this sash that she has. She's like, this is a charmed girdle and it will protect you from any physical harm. And he thinks. And until this point, he's been like, God will protect me in my quest to challenge the Green Knight. And now he's like, hmm, listen, if I can get this free shit that's going to protect me physically from any harm and someone's going to come cut off my head, maybe I should go for that. That seems like a sweet deal. So he takes it and they share three kisses because the rule of threes. So Bertolette comes back. He's like, listen, what did you get for the day? And Gawain's like, oh, I got these three kisses. And he gives him three kisses. And he keeps the girdle secret. He gets some game in exchange. I don't remember what it is. Oh, uh, it's a fox. Oh, it's a mother effing fox. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. According to the Sparks notes, at least. <laughs> so the day of the trial comes. And Gawain has to travel the last two miles to the Green Castle to meet the knight. The Green Knight. The Green Knight. So he goes and the knight is there. So he's standing there with his axe. He's like, why don't you like lean your head over this log and I will do the chippity chop because that's the deal. Um, so strike one, he fakes Gawain out and Gawain flinches and he's like, oh, I just wanted to see if you would flinch, you know? <laughs> and Gawain's like, okay, that's kind of embarrassing. I'm embarrassed that I flinched when you're going to kill me. <laughs> So the knight goes straight to, he fakes him out again. Gwen doesn't flinch, but then he's like, dude, can you please just get on with this? Can you do the thing? We promised we were going to do this thing. This was not part of the deal. It's not a joke. And then the third time, because this poem is all about the rule of threes, the knight takes the axe and swings down to Gwen's neck and lightly taps him on the neck. Drawing a smidgen of blood. Yeah. So he's like, I was just testing you. And your resolve, this deal did not say anything about cutting off each other's heads or any equal use of force. So I was seeing how chivalrous you were. And surprise, I'm also the lord from the castle, Bertilak. So he's been magically transformed by the old woman who lives in his mansion, who's actually Morgan Le Fay, the sorceress, who is Arthur's sister. And she set up this whole thing to, like, test the knights and scare Guinevere. Yeah, because Morgan Le Fay, or sometimes she's also called Morgana, like, she's not, like, a good, like, she's not a protagonist. <laughs> she's not a positive force no. in the Arthurian legends, usually. She, she's often one of the bigger villains. Here, Bertilak is claiming that she was testing the knights as like a favor to like see if they were really as virtuous as they said and to show them that they were limited as humans but then he's talking and he's like yeah she wanted to uh she wanted to freak you guys out and bug you and annoy Guinevere and maybe kill her by scaring her to death. So he knows he knows that she was not pure of heart in issuing this challenge. He also reveals that he's been the one telling his wife to seduce Gawain every night. So basically, he's been going to his wife, being like, hey, why don't you seduce this guy? And then he's been going to Gawain, being like, you know, you have to give me anything you got during the day. And then, like, fingers crossed, 
he goes through with it. And fingers crossed he doesn't actually, like, get with his wife. I think he's fingers crossed that he does. I think much like every casting decision Tim Burton made where he cast Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter, this is just a roundabout way for Bertilak to ask for a threesome with his wife and this hot dude. (laughs) (laughs) But Gwen is just, like, too good, too pure. Yeah. Gwen's like, I don't know what I would do with two people in the bed. (laughs) I don't even know what I would do with one. Um, so Bertilak's like, I was testing you. I wouldn't have actually harmed you at all, except you took the sash. So that's my little punishment is you get that little nick on your neck. And Gwen's like, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed that I failed the test and I didn't give you the girdle when you asked for it. And I even accepted it in the first place. I should have just trusted that God would protect me. And Bertilak's like, listen, anyone else would have slept with my wife and not told me and taken the ring and taken the sash. And maybe not even followed through with the challenge. So you are a very honorable knight. Keep this axe, keep the girdle, and they part on good terms. And then he goes back to um, Camelot and all the knights are like, sweet, that's a cool story. Uh, We're all going to wear a green sash now as a reminder that we should also be honest and pure of heart. Yeah, because Gwen wears the sash kind of like as a badge of failure, like as a reminder that like, you know, I should have like given it to him kind of thing. Um, So these knights are like wearing it with him as like a sign of camaraderie. Yeah, uh, that's one of the knightly virtues is fraternity. It's also a French thing. Um, so all's well that it ends yeah, well. It, I, yeah. Yep. No, I have no thoughts, points, comments, questions, suggestions. <laughs> you did not have any counterpoints? Because uh, you did not queer read this originally. No, I did not. Apparently nobody did. Apparently I was the only one doing that in my class also. Yeah, I think you, like, as a person, Chantel, um, enjoy queer reading pretty much everything you can. Uh, which is fine and allowed and very virtuous of you. Um, <laughs> however, I I did not subscribe to queering the kisses between the men um, because I just saw it as like a camaraderie aspect of it, kind of. Like, you just, you kiss the bros, the bros kiss, you know. They're sitting five feet apart because they're not gay, you know. <laughs> but I do think the, like, it, it is easy to queer read it, but I think, like, knowing more about, like, the time period and stuff, like, it just wasn't that queer of a thing, I guess. Yeah, I don't think I would have queer read it if it was just them kissing and nothing else. Like, if it was just the wife was trying to seduce him and he was like, I'm going to be honest, here's a kiss. But the fact that Bertilak was going to his wife every night being like, you should seduce this guy, and then going to Gawain like, you have to give me whatever you got. See, I think it's also, like, he knows that like, Gwen would have had to be, like, super non-virtuous to sleep with the wife. And then that means that yeah. he wouldn't have slept with Bertilak because he, his virtue would have been so terrible in the first place. That he just wouldn't be honest yeah. about it anyway. Yeah, so, like, if he had slept with the wife, Gwen wouldn't have been honest about it. So it wouldn't have gotten to that point anyways. That was kind of like a weird catch-22, I guess, type thing. Okay, I can see that. Because, like, he probably would have slept with the wife and, like, stolen the ring and stolen the girdle and then just, like, Peaced off after the first night. <laughs> like, he wouldn't have even stayed if he had been anything less than what he is in terms of virtue. Hmm. I guess that's fair. I like my reading. Yeah, and it's a fine reading. And I think if this was a romantic comedy that de- delved... Delved? Hmm. Delved? No. Disintegrated? No. Dis- deconstructed? 
No. So if this was like a the intro to like a queer porn, this would have worked, but it is not. Bertillac comes into Gawain's room at night. He's like, I see you're in the bathtub. I think you need a lifeguard. <laughs> he would have told his wife to go in with a pizza. Gawain's like, I'm in the bathtub. I don't need a lifeguard in the bathtub. A lifeguard, but the lifeguard's also holding a pizza. Yeah. <laughs> Gawain's like, oh, I don't have any money to pay for this pizza. My swim trunks are too small. And he's like, I'm not wearing swim trunks. This is 14th century. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that would have been fun queer reading for it. But as a whole, I think it's pretty, pretty straight. So, in essence... My reading is the correct one. Sure. But I'm the only one who has. <laughs> no. In <laughs> essence, you can read this poem however you want. Yeah, and I think that's a really good lesson for like our readers who may or may not be into literature at all. You can read and interpret anything in any way, really, as long as you have evidence for it. And like your reading does have evidence, um, but you're reading it through a different lens, right? That's true. So like everybody has to like keep in mind like their own background and what they're bringing to the playing field, so to speak. I think, you know, if I went in and read something from like, I don't know, French medieval times, I would bring in all these ideas of like my own French background and they would be interpreting whatever's going on in a different way than it was supposed to be interpreted. Because I have all this background of like how French is represented in Canada, like the French people and how we came to Canada, that I would bring in all these ideas that I have about like les courants des bois and stuff to France, and that would be really erroneous at that point. Um, for people who don't speak French, les coureurs de bois are... Uh, French fur trappers. They're like lumberjacks. Yeah, they're fur trappers. They're like the guys who came to Canada on the decree of the French king to like come and colonize Canada for like fur trading and stuff. Yeah, they were like the guys doing the Hudson's Bay Company fur trapping. But in French. To make the hats. Yeah. Right, that's true. HBC is, can, is um, British. English, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Never mind. Ignore me. But a lot of them were, like, eventually, like, everybody was employed by a Hudson's Bay Company because France lost. We've lost on the planes. It's fine. <laughs> Still bitter about it. I'm sorry. It's okay. I don't know why I'm apologizing. I'm also French-Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you also lost, buddy. I mean, you, you didn't lose 100%. See, I lost 100%. You lost 50%. Yeah, I, I, I half lost. Yeah. And I half won. Yeah. That's what life's all about. It's about compromise. Compromises. And I think um, that's how you have to, like, read things. You have to read things with a compromise with your own biases. Way to bring it back. <laughs> 10 out of 10. Okay. So I actually wrote an essay about this. You did. I did not. No, but you edited my essay, which is basically writing an essay. What did I write? What did I write about? Gotta track down all your essays. When we uh, when we share our essays on our Patreon, you're gonna have to track down all your essays. <laughs> We're not gonna do that. <laughs> I'm not letting people read what I wrote. Amy's self-conscious, guys. We can make a literary journal, but just Chantelle and Amy and no one else. And unsighted. We just take away the word cited. That's called plagiarism. <laughs> Only if we make money or get grades from it. I guess. I guess. Yeah, because fan fiction's not plagiarism. Yeah. Unless you make money off it. Okay, guys, always cite your work. <laughs> cite your work. <laughs> um, okay, unlike us, 
Don't do what we're doing. Do as we say, not as we do. That's how my dad taught me how to drive. Oh, no. <laughs> he was like, yeah, don't do this. I was like, okay. This is an example of the wrong thing. I was like, dad, you didn't indicate. I'm doing it for educational purposes. Dad, you're going 20 over the speed limit. Yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so when I wrote my essay for this, I kind of framed it as like... My thesis is that the text acts as a fable about Christian virtues, but then it subtly undermines the concept of Christianity to appeal to a religiously diverse population. But then I immediately forgot about my thesis and kind of framed it about like it was the Christian elite who would have been the main audience of the the poem uh, because it was written by a clergyman. It was written for nobles to read to each other like around a cozy fire with a captive audience. It wasn't meant to be read aloud in a big mess hall because it's got very nuanced language. And then it would also appeal to the people who were rebelling against the the Christian elite, like the pagans. But as my professor reminded me, very rightly so, in his comments of this essay, religion was a spectrum. It was a point of contact where Christians and pagans were intermingling. Um, so everyone was on like kind of a spectrum of pagan to Christian beliefs. Yeah, kind of like, you know, nowadays, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, I was like baptized, but I'm not like practicing. You know, you're like on a spectrum, like you're culturally Catholic. Or like for you have people like I'm going to take the example I gave you the other day of like John Mulaney, you know, his wife is Jewish, but like he's not a practicing Jewish person, but he's still like celebrates the same things his wife does when she does you know so you can be on a spectrum of religion yeah it's very much like now it was a religiously diverse population so this this could appeal to all of them honestly because i do still believe that the frame text is basically Gawain believes he's on a quest from god he goes and he has his virtue tested he fails but he still has maintained some virtues throughout so he kind of wins but here were my points for why that's wrong (laughs) Go on. Okay. So point number one, the main plot seems to be about like a fable about refraining from sin, but it's totally undermined by the fact that Gawain believes he's on a quest from God and he's actually on a quest from this mortal man and a sorceress. Sorcery is a sin of the flesh in Christian tradition at this time. And then magic is also like a pagan thing. So it's kind of like, it's subtly saying humans can misinterpret God's will, which kind of undermines the whole basis of all religion. Yeah. Like all religions with a single deity. Yeah. Also, when he gets to the castle, he goes to the two women of the house and he's like, I will serve you. So he's literally saying, I will serve you sorceress like he's serving Morgan Le Fay as much as he's serving his original quest yeah and I think like there's something also to be said about like you mentioned like sins with the flesh like he still kissed a married woman like there's yeah other issues there oh we're getting there oh we're getting there okay yeah so um Gawain is set up as kind of this very virtuous figure. Everyone's saying that he's the most virtuous knight. Um, He says that he's the weakest link, but everyone else is like, no, Gawain, you're the best. You're the bomb. But he himself engages in each of the seven deadly sins. All of them. All of them. All of them. Let me explain. Okay, run us through them. Okay, number one, gluttony. He's at the feast at Arthur's table, 15 days, not necessary. It's literally described as more food than any man could imagine. Um, and then he does the exact same thing a year later at Birchlack. He has not learned his lesson. Okay, so he's a hungry bitch. <laughs> 
Wrath. The Green Knight comes and he challenges him. The terms of the challenge do not require as much violence as Gwen used. He did not say, decapitate me. We are going to kill each other. <laughs> Don't decapitate me. But Gwen does it anyway because he doesn't want to be harmed. Greed. He shows up to the quest in this lavish, lavish armor because he is a relative of the king and he's one of the knights of the round table and he's decked out as luxuriously as possible. He's wearing Gucci to the feast. (laughs) Yeah. And he's wearing Gucci through the forest after the feast. Uh, He's like one of those guys who comes up from like Toronto to Muskoka to go glamping and he's all in like his Gucci with like his weird shoes that look like space shoes. And then he's all like, ugh, there's mosquitoes. Yeah, he. they say that he experienced hardships on the way, but it was actually just him glamping. His hardship was having to go into a porta potty <laughs> because the yurt doesn't have indoor plumbing. <laughs> okay, Sloth. He said he was going to go on his quest to meet the knight the day after New Year's. And then in the poem, it says Michael Miss showed up and Michael Miss is another holiday. So Michael Miss came and indicated that Gawain should be leaving for his quest. And then a month later... He thought maybe I should leave for this quest. So he left literally a month later than he was supposed to. Gwen, the procrastinator. <laughs> Gwen is a procrastinator. Side note, um, I hadn't heard of Michaelmas before this poem. And I really like the implication that you could have a mass for any Christian figure. Yeah. There's Christmas, Michaelmas. Like, could you have mass for anyone you saint? Like, could you have Teresamus? Well, I believe when it's like her saintly day... Because they usually have like a day of like where each saint, the masses are made in her honor. So Teresamus? <laughs> so Teresamus, yes. <laughs> well, I guess it would be Saint Teresamus. Okay, I'm down. Yeah. I'll take it. Okay. Gotta find the weirdest saint and then make a make a mess for that. Mm, I mean, there, there are a lot of saints. <laughs> There's so many. There's one that's just for like forgetting things. Like if you've lost something and you're trying to find it, you ask, uh, I only know his name in French, but Saint Antoine de Padoue um, defined. Antoine Miss? Yeah. <laughs> To find your thing. So, like, if you have lost everything and you don't know where you put everything, then you would have, like, a mass in his honor, I guess. I love that. Yeah. Okay. So, that was Sloth. Lest you mentioned he's lusting after Lady Bertilak. That's her name. I wrote it in my essay. <laughs> okay. So, he's, he's not carrying through with the lust, but he's still having impure thoughts about a married woman. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, like, in Catholicism, one of the big things is, like, you can't even have those thoughts for somebody else because that's still considered a form of adultery and, like, of lust and of sin. Right, because having the thought is, like, basically doing it. So, your thoughts make you a thought. <laughs> They're just luring him into sin. Yes. They're just setting him up for disaster. Yes, they are. Envy. Mm. He gets to Bertilak's castle. He's like, damn, this is a nice ass castle. <laughs> Wish I had a castle like this. Uh, yeah, and I think like also, you know, Arthur was going to do it. Like he was going to take the thing. But then I think he wanted some of the glory as well. Like there's some envy for like the glory that comes with defeating the Green Knight, right? Like Part of why he decapitated is probably because, you know, there's glory in just getting it done and over with. Like, I defeated the Green Knight. That's kind of more pride. Mm, Which we're getting to. Which is the next one, yeah. yeah. Pride is traditionally defined as, like, the prioritization of self. Mm -hmm. So when he receives the terms of the challenge and then he decides, listen, I don't want to die. I will just kill this guy instead. I would rather kill someone than risk being harmed. That's pride. When he takes the sash 
and doesn't tell Bertilak about it because he doesn't believe God will protect him anymore, but also he still wants to be protected and he's prioritizing that over like fulfilling the terms of the challenge honestly that's prideful right but i think that's like that's partly what makes sir gwain human you know like he goes through all these sins and then he's still seen as virtuous in the end yeah and a lot of arthur's round table are also sinning just by virtue of being at the feast and kind of like making a mockery of chivalric love by presenting these frivolous gifts to the ladies and it's supposed to be like honorable and honest but they're just doing it as a show and they're eating all this food and they're partying for 15 days and they're not ready for their duty like it's not really necessarily just Morgan Le Fay tempting them into sin they're already sinful Mm -hmm. because they're human it's kind of just revealing the downfalls of like being a human yeah but then also like showing that you can redeem yourself to a certain extent yeah totally point three three yes tres trois (laughs) of my hamburger essay (laughs) um there's lots of symbols in the poem that mix Christian symbolism with pagan symbolism So number one is the second thing that Bertillac catches is a boar, and it's an old boar. So it kind of represents the pagan tradition that's deep set in England. That's the one that they make the most show of like cutting up and eating. So it's like, oh, we're cleansing the forest of this pagan symbol because a boar is a pagan symbol. But then also like they're eating it. It's becoming part of them. Because you are what you eat. You are what you eat from your head to your feet. Is that the entire idiom? Uh, I don't know. It's from Pajama Sam. Pajama Sam's an excellent humongous video game. Humongous is the brand, not an adjective. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) There's also, it's set around Christmas, which is already a mixture of pagan and Christian because like historically Christ was probably born like around the spring, which is why I feel very strongly that they messed up when placing Christmas and Easter, but that's a whole other (laughs) issue. I think what happened is like Easter probably happened when Easter happened, but then you would have Christmas like immediately after and then you'd be like, oh, we can't have two holidays. Let's split them up about six months apart. (laughs) So they just like plunked Christ's birth onto Yule, which already existed. And that's where the Christmas tree comes from because it's like a symbol of everlasting life, which is why it should be Easter. (laughs) I feel very strongly that they messed up. I mean, there's nothing stopping you from celebrating Easter in December. Because the chicks and the eggs and the rabbits, symbols of fertility for the fertility goddess, wouldn't that be such a great thing to remake the pagan fertility goddess as Mary? Uh, Yeah. And birth? And then for Christmas, it's a symbol of everlasting life. So when he's resurrected, he can be reborn like the Christmas tree in winter, which stays evergreen. I'm kind of mad at you. I'm sorry, but I will not apologize for telling the truth. Oh, no, no. We are coming at it from a Northern Hemisphere perspective. Okay. Seasons are different in the Southern Hemisphere if Animal Crossing has taught me anything. (laughs) Okay. So. I'll come on this journey with you for now. It makes sense that they are inverted. Okay, you could go with that. Unfortunately, Christianity was developed in Europe, which is in the Northern Hemisphere. But Christ was born in Nazareth. Nazareth is in Israel. And Israel is in... Jerusalem is in the Northern Hemisphere and I'm mad about it. Are you convinced? Mm, I guess. <laughs> Maybe we can uh, we can start like a cult and then we can celebrate Christmas and Easter swapped. Maybe. <laughs> you look really upset. I am. 
Merry Christmas. Chantal ruins everything. Um, can I tell you the last symbol that mixes Christianity and paganism and then... Please do. Okay. So I can stop being sad. <laughs> and then you can stop being sad. Um, so Gawain wears a pentangle on his clothes, which is a symbol of the knightly virtues of like fraternity, piety, purity, and some other stuff, but like knightly Christian virtues. But it is also a symbol with pagan origins. So right there, he's mixing the two religions. And it's all about everyone coming together. That's fair. I agree. I think your theory about exchanging Easter and Christmas could work, (laughs) but I like the idea of having peeps in April. You can still have peeps in April. They will just be Christ's birth peeps. Because it's still on top of Eoster's holiday, the fertility goddess in the pagan tradition. And her symbols were chicks and eggs and bunnies and all the other fertility symbols. But then you have to move Lent. Uh, As a person who's not Catholic, I already am not celebrating Lent. So I'm sorry about moving Lent. It doesn't affect me. But I like eating chocolate in the winter. And then I won't have an advent calendar in the winter. (laughs) I'm sure I'm not going to convert everyone to doing this. So you can keep having your advent calendar. You're not allowed to speak to the Pope and make changes, Chantel, okay? You're messing up all of my my needs for foods. (laughs) I'll delete my email to him right now because I was about to just send it. You're going to send a WhatsApp to the Pope? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We're we're Skype buddies. (laughs) We Zoom. You Zoom. Zoom the Pope. Um, Okay, this has derailed. It has. Okay, so on a scale of trekking through the forest in your yurt to staying at Bertilax Castle with a feast, how would you rate this poem? I would rate it as, hmm, I gotta think here, um, holding hands with Bertilac and his wife. So I really enjoyed this poem, like as a whole. I thought it was clever. I thought it was witty. I think it would make it for a really good film adaptation. Mm. Yeah, I think there's like a, a whole subgenre here of Hallmark movie that could be made out of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Simply because I think it's funny, you know? You have this guy who brings in a boar and then you're all like, thanks. And then you run off with your boar. You know, I, th- I think it would just be really funny. And I've seen enough bad Hallmark movies to know that it wouldn't matter if this idea doesn't pan out because I would still watch it. If it pans out as much as the one about a woman who gets stuck in a snow globe, we're winning. <laughs> but I think like it's a really good almost coming of age story for Gwen. Mm, yeah. Um, which I think is always fun. We love a good uh, buildings romance. <laughs> yeah, it was one of the few ones that like I found really entertaining when I was reading it. Like it wasn't like grueling. Like okay, yes, the spelling issues were an issue, but it's okay because we had footnotes to explain what was going on. It's written in um, I want to say Middle English or is it Early Modern? Middle. Okay, so it's like if you're reading Chaucer, that's the English it is. Um, I think it came a little after Chaucer, but it was in that weird okay. part. Like if you look at the Project Gutenberg one, you'll be like, ow, my eyes, because it uses all the funky symbols. Like the V's are U's and the W's are two V's. And the S's are just like a really big F. (laughs) Yeah. So... I mean, it was it was kind of a challenge to get through, but I really enjoyed it. I thought like the conversations we had about it in class were really fun. And also picturing the guy from Merlin as the main character was very helpful. I would cast him in the film adaptation. Probably why Bertilek was trying to hook up with them the whole time. Honestly, though, but I just I thought it was it was fun and it was clever. And the twist at the end was fun. You know, did I say it was fun yeah. yet? Amy, did you think it was fun? I thought it was fun. Uh... <laughs> 
So yeah, I would give it like a, you know, frolicking in a field with Berthelac and his wife holding hand on each side. Beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Do you have anything, any other points to add? I think I just want to like congratulate everybody who's finished their exams, if you have any. Yes. If you are doing school right now, um, this would be the end of exam season. It would be. So congratulations. This has been a terrible year to be a student. I am sure online classes are horrendous. However, you know, you got through it and you did it and whatever your outcomes are at the end, just remember, they don't fully reflect your capabilities as a human being. And we're proud of we're you. We're very proud of you. And if you're not in school right now and you just made it through 2020, we're still proud of you because this has been a heck of a ride. Heck of a ride. I think, you know, as we close 2020, it's good to look forward to better things, to rejoining the people we love, to celebrate Christmas or Easter whenever you want to questing across the land because next new year's you're gonna have to chop off someone's head <laughs> to be able to cross over borders to be able to do things but i, just, I think you know 2020 has been bad um it's been a bad dog but 2021 is going to be a less bad dog and that's how you have to look at things. On that note, that's all we have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you joining us in our brand new podcast this year. This has been a passion project that we've been talking about for a really long time. So thank you so much for being a part of it with us. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends and please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you really like us, you can go ahead and rate us five stars. We would very much appreciate that on the iTunes store. And as always, we're excited and available. Back in my ears. Go back in your ear holes. In my ear holes. And June is behind. Can you see? Hello, June. You cannot hear. You are in my ears. Why would you set me up for failure like this? Love.